Uh, this morning, good morning. We are going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. I was listening to, to Wendy's prayer and, and, uh, and Mark's prayer as well, and uh, I was thinking, gosh, I, I, I wish I'd have recorded that. That'd be great to do the last thing to hear before I go to bed at night. <laughs> you know, that was a beautiful prayer. And even, even what you prayed, Mark, has everything to do with where we're beginning today as well. And uh, I've... This week I've been talking with Dave about the message and it was funny, I was, I was talking with uh, Scott and Joel and, and I said, uh, I said, it must be so frustrating to Dave because Dave asked for an out- outline and he said, if you can't do an outline, just send me a message and I'll do the outline. So, so I sent him a message about two days ago and, uh, uh, and then it was about three days ago and about, two day, about a day and a half later I said, uh, hey mate, the message is changing so, so I'm sure I'm very frustrating today, right now, but Dave, if you're listening, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, I'm always taken uh, when I come to this congregation because I always come in contact with people I haven't seen in ages, uh, and particularly probably the second service, but uh, it's a wonderful thing because it speaks of uh, a, a safety I think that this congregation uh, presents to people when they come uh, safety and and, uh, kind of a stability, which is just wonderful. And I've seen a lot of people receive healing here as well when they've had experiences somewhere else that they just need to be somewhere where they could heal. And so I just want to commend the the staff here and uh, and what you guys are about. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, John 14 is actually, I'm thankful, when Dave asked me to teach, you guys, he said that you guys are in a series on encountering Jesus. And it happened to be that I, I had an encounter with Jesus. I've had many encounters with Jesus, but, but I had an encounter with Jesus 
October, the end of October last year that has everything to do with the message that I want to bring to you today. So I said to Dave, oh, that makes sense. Uh, this would be John 14 with Jesus meeting for the final time with his disciples. And what is the most important thing that he says to them? There are a few things that he says, but what is the most important thing that he says to them? And I want to begin today with a prayer. And I want to pray this over you. And then I want to explain it a little bit. So would you just close your eyes for a minute? This is an ancient, ancient prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Amen. Amen. So, as many of you probably know, this is the Shema prayer. And this was initiated by Moses or through Moses where in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, where they've come to the promised land of which Moses is not going to enter, but they've spent 40 years traveling in the desert in disobedience to God uh, and not loving God in so many ways. And this is the last thing that Moses instructs them through Moses, God instructs the people of Israel as they're coming into the promised land. This is how you find abundant life, so to speak. This is how you will not just survive, but thrive. So it starts, the prayer begins with the word here, which is Shema. This is what the prayer is named after, Shema, here. And the hearing element of this is exactly what Mark just prayed, that we would not only hear words, but we would take in what is being said into the core of our being, into, the, into our hearts, to understand and, and engage with what's actually being said. That's what it means here, O Israel. Here. Stop. Everything. Pause. Now, take it in, into your heart. Here, O Israel. And then the declaration of who God is. And the second part of this is this uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And that word love is um, ahava. And ahava love is not the kind of love that we think of in, in a relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, ahava love is a love that, it, that requires obedience. It requires action, right? So it requires action. And... The essence of what Moses is saying here to the Israelites is, uh, again, a way for them not to, to, to survive but to actually thrive by listening to God, listening for him and obeying him. So obedience has everything to do with this. So the scripture goes on to say and to, to reiterate what he's saying to them. The Lord says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on door frames, the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So again, the key here, the, the, the ahava love of God requires obedience. But as we see and becomes a pattern for Israel, has been to that point, is that there is this pattern of disobedience where they didn't love God at times, many of them. Where they, many of them disobeyed God. So there's this back and forth, thousands, a couple of thousand years of, of back and forth of obedience and loving God and disobedience and for, coming back into it and out of it, in, out of it, this constant, constant uh, cycle. And then uh, in the prophetic books, in many of the prophetic books, there is a, there's these sparks of hope and of freedom and, uh, that, that are brought to us. And in the book of Ezekiel, there's a word that reflects the relentless love of God towards his people. Ezekiel chapter 36. And it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. So Ezekiel is prophesying of a time when uh, we would be moved to obey God by way of his spirit in us. And we know and understand that that particular time was the coming of the Son of God, Jesus, who came to bring his kingdom to earth through whom, by which, we are given the Holy Spirit. So fast forward to the Gospel of John. So we have, we see uh, Jesus here in chapters 13 through 17. We observe Jesus with his disciples prior to his crucifixion. And He's been with them for three years, showing them and also demonstrating the kingdom of God through signs, wonders, and miracles. And this is his last gathering with them. So what does he say to them? What are his parting words? What is the most important thing that he wants them to remember? several things that take place. One is uh, he speaks a command over them to love one another. And we see this by the washing of the disciples' feet. This is what you need to do for one another. This is Peter's reticence. No, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. This is the John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 26, we see uh, that the, the communion, 
is uh, instituted, so to speak, in the, for the body of Christ, that Jesus breaks the bread and, and, and presents the wine and takes the wine as representation of his body and his blood, a new reality for us as the body of Christ. And now this will happen until we, we partake in, the, in communion till he comes again, where it will be a different type of communion at a different type of table, right? But the last thing that he says is the most important. And he says it over and over and over and over again, even within these particular chapters between 13 and 17. And he says them in many different forms, and and the ways that he says it is just beautiful because he... uh, continues to, every time he says it, and he says it anew, it starts to peel layers away from us to help to understand exactly the breadth and the depth of what he's, what he's calling us into. And rather than read the, all of the scriptures that Wendy Richards read again, uh, the words, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. These things are said over and over and over and over again. As I read this, as I've read it many times before, but in this particular uh, sittings that I would have just reading this scripture, uh, it seemed like there was a parallel between this moment for Jesus and his disciples and Moses' moment with the nation of Israel. It's his final moment. What is he going to say to them? And he reiterates this idea of, if you love me, then keep my commands. This is, I think, in a sense, kind of a shemach moment for for Jesus. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But there's one massive difference between what Jesus is saying and what Moses said. Where Moses' prayer commands the people to love God, Jesus doesn't. He's simply and profoundly saying, if you love me, then it will show. This is a deepening twist on the Ahava love from the Shema. And consistently throughout the Gospels, you guys, I'm always, as I said, just taken sideways by the way that Jesus uh, just goes deeper and deeper and deeper with his explanations, the way he describes things. Uh, He takes it consistently deeper and shows us the powerful and beautiful uh, love of God. Sometimes it's just frustratingly so, right? (laughs) deeper levels of understanding of his kingdom. And in this case, he's helping us understand the dynamics of our love relationship with God the Father and himself. His commands are far beyond any sacrificial system or temple liturgy. We are being invited into a, a new way of love. And in the words of Switchfoot, 
right? A new way to be human. I love that line. A new way to be human. This is what we're being invited into. And they are seemingly impossible, or there is a seemingly impossible array of love commands that can only be accomplished by first an act of sacrificial love from him toward us. That becomes an invitation into a life of sacrificial love by us toward him, by which we are able to do the same for others around us. If you want more specifics on his commands, what he's actually asking of us, uh, just read the Sermon on the Mount. Start there. and Talk about turning everything upside down. He said, do not murder. Well, if you're angry at someone, let me just speak to that for a minute. Or if you are speaking in such a denigrating way to someone that it cuts to the core of their being and, and, and just slices up their, their humanness, then you're in the... like. You're in danger of the pit of hell. Like he, see, like he just turns everything upside down. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount we see that. But even before we decide to accept his invitation into a life of loving him, his lavish and passionate love was acting upon us and is the very thing that initiates the response from us to give way to his love. It's that scripture, because he first loved us. We are, are taking what was once unconscious, and I would say even a, a part of our DNA, and we're making it conscious by a choice. Now, I'm, I'm not a- advocating for any particular theology here, so if there's any Armenians here or any, you know, uh, you know, you know where I'm going with that, uh, Calvinists. So I'm not advocating for any particular theology. I'm just trying to explain the dynamic relationship of, of God's love for us and our love for him with a very simple and limited mind. That's all I'm trying to do. But for love to exist, we have to have the ability to choose otherwise. Right? For love to exist, we have to have the ability to choose otherwise. This, in so many ways, is why the world is the way it is. Because so many have chosen otherwise. They choose not to love God and to disobey Him and to walk in their own ways. But when Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commands we can very easily forget that we have entered into a relational community of love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that our choice to receive his love is not predicated on our ability to prove that love, but rather on our choice to abide to remain in him and connected to him. And Jesus frames this so well in chapter 15 of John. And I'm going to read the Passion Translation. It just gives it a little bit more descriptive. So you must remain in life union with me 
For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. The, the relational element of his unmerited favour toward us has everything to do with, with us staying connected to him, us remaining in him, us abiding in him. It allows us to not only obey his commands without even thinking about it, but when we do think about it, we're not doing them in a, in a way to prove our love to him. We're actually doing it from a space of loving him because he's loved us. You see the twist on the Ahava love of God there. When we remain connected to him, his life flows through us and in us, and we remain in him. His life is, is given to us. And we're able to do what Jesus would do without even thinking about it. That's the, that's, the, that's the goal, so to speak. More of him equals more of that. And yet, though we know that, in our humanness, we seem to naturally, let me say, maybe in the flesh is probably a better way of putting it, we seem to naturally lean toward a transactional relationship with God. It's the way that we do business with God, right? It's ingrained in us to the point that it's not even something necessarily that's conscious in us. Sometimes it's just unconscious, but it's there. Though, if, if seriously, if we are to thrive in the love of God, if we are to produce fruit and pour that into the world around us, then living transactionally won't, will not suffice. We can't get there living transactionally. We have to get there remaining in him, knowing him intimately. That's how it takes place. So I want to share a little bit of a testimony with you. Uh, This was, as I said, something that happened to me last October, late October. Uh, I've I've been pastoring for over 25 years. I've walked with the Lord for uh, 30, probably 35 years, something like that, 34, 35 years, 35 years. So, so my wife and I decided to go on a, on a two-week prayer retreat. Uh, it wasn't a guided retreat. It was just a place that we found out about, Roca Blanca in, uh, in Oaxaca, Mexico. We found about, out about from our, from our new in-laws. And it's a mission base down there about 45 minutes north of, uh, north of uh, Puerto Escondido. And no, I didn't surf while I was down there. I just prayed. <laughs> prayed for surf, no. So, so our, our point in going down there was actually to put everything of our ministry, see the house on the table. 
and ask the Lord, are we still doing what you've called us to do? And this, I think this is their healthy practice to do. Uh, there's no, there were no golden calves for us. There was nothing we were holding on to going, okay, we're not letting go of this, Lord. It was everything on the table. Uh, Patty and I had some really intimate, deep conversations about, about our ministry, what God has called us to. And, and God spoke in some really profound ways, significant ways. And it's amazing when you come out of that, with, uh, with, when you go into it with indifference, you're able to come out of it empowered because you know you've actually put everything on the table. There's nothing in the back of your, back of your mind going, but did we really put that on the table? Like everything. So you come back with this empowerment and a new vision. Not necessarily a new vision, but an empowered vision. Of maybe we were a half a degree off before, but now, which would put us way off down the road, but now we're back on track again. Anyway, so that was the first part of the, the, the first week that we had down there. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was, they built this amazing mission base down there. And uh, it's like you're on the beach in Hawaii. Seriously, palm trees, beach right there, little river flowing through. We had this room on the third story. It was lovely. We, we, we spent 90% of the time in our room. And it was, it was wonderful. It really was. Uh, praying, worshipping, reading, talking, that whole thing. Uh, I, got to, <laughs> I did get to the end of the retreat, though. And I said to my wife, I was reading a book, and I was... Uh, I think we'd, we'd finished our fast at that point and she was like, and Patty was just, I was trying to read my book and Patty was just talking, 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 talking. And, and, I'm like, and I'm like, honey, there's no one on earth that I could possibly spend two weeks with in a room, just so you know. I love it, but it's time to be quiet. <laughs> I just want to read my book. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. It was a good interaction. So, but going into this second week, uh, God got personal, as he usually does when you give him the opportunity to. And I was reading I've, two books at the time. One was just the Bible. The other one was a book that I, I pick up, I've picked up over probably the last 15 years. I'll pick it up every, every couple of years, and it continues to peel layers away from my inside. And it's a book called uh, Invitation to a Journey. Uh, and if you're a, a spiritual masochist, I would pick it up. Um, <clears throat> it will beat you up a bit. But it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And it just makes a lot of sense. And it continues, as, as I said, to peel layers away from me. So as I'm reading this book and things are just being in, in, uh, uh, kind of enlightened uh, or to, to me, uh, I was sitting out on the balcony one morning and I picked up the Bible and, uh, and after reading my, my book for a little bit, I picked up the scriptures and I was in John 14 at this point and I'm reading this, the scripture that we just read this morning. If you love me, you will obey my commands. But in uh, the Passion Translation, it says, those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father and I will passionately love him. And in return, I will reveal myself to him. I've had, I think we all have, but I was having some, uh, a season where I hadn't sensed the passionate love of God in quite a while. But I also felt that I didn't necessarily passionately love him either. Uh, in that particular season. 
So after reading the scriptures, so here's what's going on. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm seeing like if you obey my commands, you know, and I'm going, I'm thinking who this is for. I'm going, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm going, gosh, man, this is, I think this is probably the majority of the church. I mean, gosh, well, I think we all interpret God's commands as just being good. And, and uh, like if we're good enough, and that, that, like that's, that's cool. We just kind of keep going, right? And so this is a, that's a thought that I had. So that thought kind of put over here. And then uh, throughout the day, the, the thought would keep coming back to me. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's, that's right. But then the words, do you passionately love me, came to mind right before I went to bed. And so I, when I went to sleep, I was woken up at least four times by the Lord. And that question kept ringing in my head. Do you passionately love me? An hour or so later, do you passionately love me? And at this point, the, the dagger is going in deeper and deeper. Do you passionately love me? I felt like Peter on the beach with Jesus. Do you, do you love me? And about four o'clock, I woke up again hearing, do you passionately love me? Uh, and I decided to get up. And I went in the other room and I sat and I had my journal, my Bible, and I sat with this, this little light and uh, I began to journal what I was hearing from the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't know that I passionately love you right now. And, uh, and I, just, I sensed the Lord just say to me, you know how you were believing that the, the church in general uh, takes goodness as just obeying God's commands. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I, I'm an ethical, moral person. I'm, I'm a good guy, right? I value character. But the Lord said, that scripture was for you. You're, you're the one who believes that goodness, just goodness, is obeying God's commands. And I sat there, I just cut to the core. And in that moment, <clears throat> uh, I knew it was true and I was able to say, this is true of me. And then he said to me, uh, Take all of your goodness. Take all of your goodness, all of your morality, all of your ethics, all of your character, everything. He said, now I want you to put it over here. And he said to me, I just love you. And then I heard him say, and I didn't know if afterwards if this was theologically correct, but I believe it to be so. He said, I cannot see you through your goodness. I can only see you through the intimate relationship that I have with you. I just love you. But that's also true of my badness. I just love 
you. And in that moment, I felt an overwhelming presence of the passionate love of Jesus that I hadn't felt in quite a while. And the beautiful thing was that passionate love came from me toward him as well. And I was able to re-answer that question, do you passionately love me? And say, yeah. It was just reinstated to me (laughs) through your love for me. I waited for the sun to come up and... When Patty got up, I said, hey, Annie, I've got something to tell you. I had an experience with Jesus this morning. And he came and he said some things to me. Obviously, I didn't see him, <laughs> but through his voice, through his Holy Spirit. And I said, I have to tell you about it. And I sat on the bed with my wife and uh, I wept. I wept like I haven't wept in a long time. And I, I had trouble getting the words out. You know that ugly cry? It was an ugly cry. I was so overwhelmed with God's passionate love for me. It just wrecked me, but convicted me because I figured that my goodness was just enough. And our goodness can be a primary, I think can be the primary inhibitor of us experiencing the love of God. and us loving him in return. This is what I would call the gray, (laughs) that we tend to live in the gray. We just kind of get by. We're good people, right? We're good people. As men, we we hunker down and uh, we're getting things done, right? Staying busy for Jesus. We're just staying busy. Um, this becomes our goodness and we equate that with loving God. And I don't know that it's that much different for women either. It's a different kind of doing, different kind of just getting by our goodness. Uh, We experience guilt and shame over it and as men, we tend to go into ourselves with guilt and shame and we stay there. Uh, We just revel in our guilt and shame. It's kind of embarrassing. (laughs) But I think women do as well. I think women live in guilt and shame too. Jesus brings in the Holy Spirit in this portion of the scripture in relation to loving and obeying him because he's letting us know that he's not leaving us helpless and hopeless and defenseless against our own human tendencies and frailties. That's one of the reasons we're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't have, if if you'd have come to me 12 hours before I had this experience with Jesus and told me, hey, this is what's going to happen, I would have said, yeah, right. Because it was unconscious in me. I was just doing it. I didn't know I was doing it. But the results of it was I wasn't receiving the passionate love of God, nor was I giving it toward him. He's given us another like himself to come alongside us, to convict us of our sin like he's done with me so many times. I can't tell you how many retreats I've done. If we can just be still and be silent 
It's amazing what you will hear from Holy Spirit who indwells you. Can't tell you how many times stuff comes up that I didn't know about. I'm so thankful for. It's the hardest stuff we'll ever do dealing with ourself, right? When we talk about carrying, by bearing our cross or dying to self, it's not that person at work that, we, that just irritates us, that we just have to get by with every day, just be nice to, be the Christian nice to, right? It's not that. It's not necessarily the circumstances around us that we often blame. Man, I'm, this is hard. I'm carrying my cross. Sometimes it is. Dying to self and, and the cross that we bear is where we are most unlike Jesus. That's dying to self. And it's the hardest stuff we'll ever do. When you're confronted with yourself, we don't like that at all. But that's part of what it means to bear your cross and to die to self, is to be open to the Holy Spirit to speak to you about yourself, to become the types of people who would do what he asks us to do without even thinking about it. We need to stop seeing the Holy Spirit as just a, a, a thing or a power. He's the third person of the Trinity. Person of the Trinity. And we can speak to him just as we do the Father or the Son. Jesus' love, um, it, it draws us out of our stuff out of our self-life and into his peace and his power to move beyond passive Christianity. What I would call the grey. And into abundant, vibrant life. Beyond the good enough and into passionate love that reminds us of what we've been saved from and what we're saved into being reminded that his love didn't just save us. It saves us every day. Every day. Goodness. as a, an inhibitor to experiencing the love of God. What I'd like to do is something that may be unfamiliar to you, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> is I'm going to ask you, see, here's the thing. <clears throat> uh, this is a community of love. A Christ-centered community of love, Correct. At least got one person believes it. <laughs> and in a Christ-centered community of love, we pray for one another, right? Right. And I know that vulnerability is difficult in a setting like this. But I want to call us today to this, that if the Spirit of God is convicting you, is speaking to you about the grayness about living in the power of your own goodness. Would you...